0: Hey guys, it's Miller. So grateful you're tuning into this week's episode of Uproom Dallas Podcast. Hey, I really believe this series on rest is timely. Uh, This message tonight was um, one of, I think, one of the most important messages I could give to a younger generation. I think many of our sin patterns, struggles in our life are actually symptoms of our schedules, of not... Uh, getting the soul care that we need and resting in the finished work of the cross. Um, I hope that this message encourages you, simplifies your faith, uh, encourages you to engage the Lord in Sabbath rest. Uh, I also would really, really encourage you to participate in our Shabbat dinner. It will be August 20th at 6.30 p.m. on our live stream. You can check our social media, for more information on how to participate in that. Rabbi Jason will be with us. It's going to be an epic evening. So join us, enjoy the message. We love you. Amen, put your hand on your heart. Jesus, your word is living and active and I pray that it would divide soul, spirit, bone, marrow, would you do surgery today? Uh, I believe this message is so simple, it's profound. I believe this principle is so simple that it's actually hard to institute into our lives. Lord, Uh, simple is not always easy, but would you Lord apply this simple truth to lives? And would you deliver hearts? Would you deliver souls? Would you break yokes off of your people tonight? Yokes that you paid for. Yokes, Lord, that we're not called to carry. Lord, yokes that the world may carry, yokes that the world may attempt to put on us, but I declare there is an anointing that breaks yokes. Lord, that souls would be restored, that minds would be restored, that bodies would be healed tonight, that depression would leave, that anxiety would bow, Lord, that self-hatred would go, that anxiety, just that underlying tension in our souls would be broken off tonight in the name of Jesus. Come and do business with your people. Come and let your zeal consume us for your temples, that we are in the name of Jesus. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost and born again, say amen. amen. Hebrews chapter four, verse one, it says this. Therefore, let us fear. Uh-oh. That's a strange thing. The Bible constantly says, fear not. It's the most common command in the Bible, but this says, let us fear. <laughs> let us fear. Fear. If, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. (laughs) The one thing you should be fearful of is that you're not living a life of rest. (sighs) All right, you can go home now. That's the only scripture you need. Let us fear if, if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us. Who's heard the gospel and the good news of what Christ has accomplished for you? If you haven't heard it, you're going to hear it in just a second. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just also as they did. And he's speaking of the Israelites leaving Egypt in the wilderness. But the good news is that there was a promised land for them, but they did not enter into that rest. Verse 2b. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard that good news preached to them. So this is telling me that you can be born again and not fully entering in the rest that Christ purchased for you. Just like the Israelites wandered in the wilderness They did not have ears to hear and unite their faith to what the Lord had spoke. And so they died falling short of the promise that God had for them. Many believers are living in that reality today. Why? It has to do with the topic of rest. It doesn't have to do with the topic of rebellion, it doesn't have to do with the topic of pornography. It doesn't have to do with the topic of alcohol, of your sexuality. It has to do with the topic of rest. And yet, all of those symptoms that we point to in our lives are oftentimes the fruit of us not fully entering into the rest that's been provided by the cross. It is good. It's much more simple than we realize. But simple is not easy. There is something innate to you in your fallenness that you want to work yourself out of what you got yourself into. There's a voice that says you got yourself into this mess, you must get yourself out of the mess. But the good news of the gospel is that it's not up to you to get yourself out of that mess. The good news of the gospel is that the Messiah came into your mess and he provides grace that empowers you to live differently. But it's a source outside of your own strength. It's why Paul would say, your grace is sufficient in my weakness. Let's keep reading. Verse three. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now he's going to use an analogy here in verse four. He's going to talk about creation. He says, for he has said somewhere. that's somewhere is Genesis two. Verses 1, 2, and 3. For he has said somewhere concerning the Sabbath day, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So the writer of Hebrews, using... The analogy of the Israelites falling short of the promised land, then pointing to believers who have heard the gospel preached, points to another analogy. And the analogy is the creation account. And it's when the Sabbath rest was instituted. We spoke last week. For six days, God worked. He spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke. On the sixth day, he spoke and breathed life into man. And then on the seventh day, God rested. Why did he rest? Because he was tired. No, he rested because he was finished. So man, who was created on the sixth day, wakes up the first morning. He looks around at God and God's just chilling. And Adam looks at God just chilling because God was not working anymore. God was at rest because his work was finished. And so Adam's first day was God's last day of work, if that makes sense. Adam was created in his first day. He was living in the finished work of the created order. And man has been working with that creative order ever since. Like within the earth, I could show you this in Genesis 2, 5, but the potential of the earth was locked up and Adam was actually told to co-labor with the work that God had finished so that he could draw forth the potential that was in the earth, which was seed-bearing fruit. It wasn't just seed-bearing fruit, it was the wheel. Like the wheel was in the earth, although Adam didn't know about the wheel. One day, some caveman would develop a wheel. Why? Because he's working with God's finished work. And the potential of the earth is coming out. At the first Sabbath day, when God was finished creating things, you know, the internet was inside of the earth. Think about that for a second. We didn't just like suddenly create the internet. It's from the potential of the created order. We're still drawing forth, (laughs) like who knows? I mean, Elon Musk is like, we're going to Mars. We're gonna colonize Mars. Is that the potential? I don't know, but we're sending people into orbit. We've got these phones. that some of you are on right now, and so you can hear me preach, and you're watching YouTube or Netflix or Cody Lee's latest release, whatever it is. Like, (laughs) my point is that when God was finished with his work, it was good, but Adam woke up to that finished work. And Adam began working with, with, with what God had provided. Why am I saying that? Because the author in Hebrews is saying this is similar to the good news that was preached to you and how salvation works. This is how salvation works. John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus takes a breath and he says the famous three words, it is finished. It's the same thing God said on the seventh day. It's complete. It's done. It's finished. The work of creation, well, the work of salvation was finished when Jesus took that breath and he said, it is finished. Meaning, I fulfilled what you sent me to do. I lived a perfect life. I demonstrated the exact nature and character of who you are to mankind. I spoke what you said to speak. I went where you said to go. I presented to you a blameless, perfect offering. I endured the cross, the shame of the cross, the scourging of the cross, falsely accused, murdered by religious zealots, hanging as that offering, even for them, forgiving them on the cross. And then he takes that breath and he says, it's finished. And he gives his life. What's finished The plan of redemption. God's plan of redemption. From Adam to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to the nation of Israel, to David, to all the kings. This plan of redemption woven through and here he is hanging on the cross. It's finished and when we hear the gospel preached and we we put our faith in the word that we hear we're born again it says you were dead spiritually made alive raised up and you were seated in heavenly places in him Ephesians 1.3 says that in this chair, every spiritual blessing has been provided to you. <laughs> Why? Because it is finished. What's finished? The work of redemption, the work of salvation. You were born again and you were complete in Christ. You were justified By his blood, you've been made right with God. He imputes righteousness to you. He removes sin. It's not a do. It's a done. And it's in this place that we receive from him. The book of Ephesians is so important. We have so many young believers. You need to know your Bible. There's three positions in Ephesians. The first is Ephesians 2. And it's that you're seated in Christ. And Paul talks about those blessings in Ephesians one, every spiritual blessing, he goes through the blessings from the Father, the blessings from the Son, the blessings from the spirit. That's all Ephesians 1. It's amazing. And then Ephesians two, he talks about the seat that you're seated in, seated in. And he talks about the union and the mystery, and, and it's this oneness that we have in this chair. And then Ephesians four, it changes. It talks about you walking, but you don't walk first. You sit and it's from the chair that you find strength to move. You're seated first, you're walking second. And then Ephesians six, you're standing when opposed, sit, walk, stand. It's by watchman knee. It's a wonderful book. I highly encourage you to get it. But the Sabbath rest is weekly, once a week, once a week for 24 hours. We find this chair. And life isn't easy, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come to me. Take my yoke. It's easy. But, Lord, this circumstance is so hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't promise you an easy life. I promised you an easy yoke. What does that mean? It means the harder the things get externally, there can be an ease internally. Oh, but we're so insulated internally, we got so much traffic running through us internally. And the Lord wants us to enter into the rest that he's provided through his finished work. Just like Adam's first day, living in the finished work of creation, we need to return back to the chair and to receive what he's given us. And I believe with all my heart, this Sabbath principle, I get that it's Old Testament. I don't care. (laughs) people say that all the time like it's old testament bro the sabbath that's a commandment don't preach the law i'm like so is not murdering people i hope you don't own a gun like meaning it fits in those categories and i believe it, it, it there is a principle of life that's found in those commandments. Like if you go out and murder someone, there's going to be problems for you. There's ramifications. You sleep with someone else's spouse, ramifications. If you're not keeping the Sabbath, ramifications. And that's not law. Like if I was, I think we do one of two things. We either like, lay hold of the law, you know, and we find comfort in what we're doing, or we totally neglect and just say, I'm under grace. And there's this middle road called life. (laughs) So many of us want the life that Jesus provides, but it takes a lifestyle to enter into that life. We love Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. But most of us, we got the truth part, but we need to know the way part. Jeremiah 9, it says, I think it's Jeremiah... uh, Six. It's somewhere in early Jeremiah. It's a beautiful text, but it says, "Return to the ancient paths," and it's actually speaking about rest. There's an ancient way of living from Genesis chapter two that rest is so so crucial for for you. But like innate to us, rest does not come naturally. So God had to make a commandment: take a day off. Like just take a day off. Take a day off. You. Take a day off. 24 hours. I'm going to give it to you. Take it off. I don't want it. In eight to us. That's like something inside of us does not want to take that breath. And I, 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 I told you this last week. I, I, took, I took a week off for 4th of July, and then we take another week off. And, and it was the second part of that week. It was about 10 days in. And I actually felt like I was at rest. I put my phone up. Um, I didn't check emails. I wasn't on any social media. We weren't watching a lot of television. Like it was just detox. About day 10, I felt like, oh my gosh, I feel like there's a rest in my soul. Like I'm, I'm identifying with my inner world. And all of a sudden, like I'm sitting there and I felt this, this f- sensation that can only be like this. It was just real subtle. There's this is fluttery sense of anxiety. And I was like, Lord, I feel so at peace. And he said, Yeah, you live with that underneath it all. Wow. And I repented. It was convicting, and I felt God's discipline in that moment. I don't want you to live with that. But underneath that, you put your schedule. You put your your you know your your routines and exercise and diet and relationships and your kids and but underneath it like the lord's like I really want you to let me be the foundation and i want to give you a shalom that confronts chaos that confronts disorder and i want to restore your soul that's what he promises to do as a good shepherd amen and listen, there's a lot of young faces in here, a lot of young faces, a lot of young faces. Man, if you can get this early on, if you can implement this and really tap into it, divine order, if, if I could teach my kids anything, it's divine order, establish your life on the order of God. Yes. Honor. I won't get into all that. Maybe we need to do a series on that. But this rest portion is a major part of that. So um, I'm going to jump to Jeremiah 17 now. Flip over there real quick. In Jeremiah 17, again, I've shared kind of the New Testament reality of the Sabbath. But this Jeremiah 17 is a pretty important text in the history of the historical account of Israel. Um, in Jeremiah 17, verse 19, uh, Jeremiah is told by the Lord to go stand in the public gate. So it was, it was the main entry uh, into Jerusalem, and then he would go to all of the gates. So Verse 19, Jeremiah 17, Thus says the Lord uh, to me, Go and stand in public gate through which the kings of Judah come in and go out. So this is a threshold in and out of the city, as well as in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say to them, Listen to the word of the Lord, kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all inhabitants of Jerusalem. So everyone listen up who comes in through these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take heed for yourselves. Do not carry any load on the Sabbath day or bring anything in through the gates of Jerusalem. You shall not bring a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your forefathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but they stiffened their necks in order not to listen, or take correction. But it will come about, if you listen attentively to me, declares the Lord, to bring no load in through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but to keep the Sabbath day holy by doing no work on it. And then there will come in through the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David. This is covenant language. They were waiting for their Messiah to come. And they knew it's like Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were waiting for someone to rule and reign in the lineage of David, the son of David. This is one of Jesus' descriptions. He's the root of David. He sits on the throne of David. So the Messianic community is still waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. But he is saying, if you will rest, then I will bring that Messiah to you. Do I need to go there? <laughs> Joseph Prince says this. He says, If you're working, God's resting. But when you're resting, God's working. That's in essence what he's saying here. He's saying, If you would rest, I will work by giving you righteous rulers. Prince is sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and this city will be inhabited forever. That will happen one day. Hallelujah. Verse 26 They will come in from the cities of Judah and from the environs of Jerusalem and the land of Benjamin, from the lowland of the hill country, Negev, bringing Uh, burnt offerings, sacrifices, grain offerings, incense, bringing sacrifices of thanksgiving to the house of the Lord. So this will affect worship. This will affect the way you engage me. This will affect the way that you approach me. Verse 27, but if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying a load and coming in through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle, kindle a fire in the gates and it will devour the palace of Jerusalem and that fire will not be quenched. This is pretty significant ramifications for not taking a day off. Jeremiah is standing, yelling. He was kind of an odd fella if you read through scripture, some of the things he had to do. And here he is once again, standing at each one of the gates. And all he's asking is listen, you can enter in through this gate. You and your family can enter in through the gate, but take your load off. Stop carrying your baggage in. Leave your grain for work at home. You can't trade on this day. Stop doing commerce. Just come as you are through these gates to come and worship. Please don't stiffen your neck. Please, for 24 hours, call a timeout. For 24 hours, take off your title. Quit being an employee. Just stop. But you know what? They didn't do it. And so God committed to this principle, committed to this word. Who comes? The Babylonian Empire. They ransacked Jerusalem. They set fire to its gates. This is the book of Nehemiah. It would restore it. But this is pre-that. And so the Babylonian Empire would come and ransack Jerusalem and do you know Jeremiah would prophesy in Jeremiah 29? He would prophesy how long they would be in captivity. So this is Jeremiah 17. If you push forward 12 chapters, Jeremiah is now getting to the point where he's like, captivity is coming, and you're going to be in captivity for how long? Does anyone know? Come on, let's know our Bibles, guys. 70 years. 70 years. Take notes. This is good, study for yourself. 70 years. In fact, you know the, the Jeremiah 29, 11. It's like, I know the plans I have for you. Plans of prosperity, plans of hope, plans of a future. You know that one? Like, we love it. Well, Jeremiah 29, 10, can you put that up? It's the scripture before it. Check this out, Jeremiah 29, 10. I didn't have this one. for <laughs> thus says the Lord we never we never we never associate for I know the plans I have for you with 10 is awesome but 10 says this when 70 years have been completed for Babylon I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and I will bring you back to this place look at 11 you might as well go there. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and calamity and future and a hope. Well, he's speaking that to people that are in captivity. Yeah. Wow. Seventy years, though, they would be in captivity. Now, I, I, I believe, I mean, I think there were a lot of strongholds in the nation of Israel. I think there was a lot going on. We can, I can point to the religious system. I can point to the family structure. I can... Re- Uh, point to immorality there's stuff laced throughout Jeremiah as to why the judgments of God came but I think the primary reason was because of the Sabbath and that 70 years is important because it's actually connected to the Sabbath God looks at the people and he's like, okay, if you're not going to take a day off, I'm actually going to give the land rest. Because not only have you neglected it for yourself, but you've neglected the promised land that I've given you. And in Leviticus chapter, uh, Leviticus 25, look at this. Oh, uh, you guys need to get your notes out. I really want you to take notes. You're getting good Bible tonight. You need more than worship songs. I love that you come here for worship, but you need the word. And we preach the word. We, we preach it well. The word will liberate you. you got to continue in the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not just hearing it once. Even Hebrews 4, you if you don't enter into that rest, meaning you've got to continue in the message that you heard. You've got to apply it to your life. There's a do, but a do is found in the done. There's things you do and cooperate with what the Lord provides for you. And one of them is that you're a creature of the word. You're a student of the word. So Leviticus 25, Moses is on Mount Sinai and look at what the Lord says. He says, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. So not only did people have a Sabbath, but land had a Sabbath. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its crop. So for six years, you can work your land. But during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest. So six years, work the land. But that seventh year, you let the land rest. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Wow, can you imagine if you're a farmer? You're you're plowing, you're eating for six years, and that seventh year is coming... No, 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 no. We're taking a break. <laughs> the only way you're going to make it through that year is by faith. <laughs> so guess what? Let's go back to the 70 years in captivity that Jeremiah twenty-nine ten 10, that preceded Jeremiah twenty-nine 11, 70 years is significant. Because do you know how many years the Israelites forsook Leviticus chapter 25 They forsook the Sabbath land rest for 490 years Second Chronicles chapter 36 verse 21 Look at this Second Chronicles 36 verse 21 So the message of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah here's Jeremiah again until the land had enjoyed its sabbath all the desolation all the days of its desolation it kept sabbath until the 70 years were completed what did God do God said listen <laughs> you've neglected 70 years of rest for my land that I gave to you. So I'm removing you so that this land can get restored. God's serious about this. And guess what you're made out of? You're made out of dust. You don't get rest every seven years. You get rest every seven days. This principle is so foundational. God's serious about it. He was serious about it then, and I believe he's serious about it today because he wants you to have life and life abundantly. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you shalom. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you true fulfillment. He wants to give you himself. And this day of rest is a day where we position ourselves, we take a deep breath and we're refreshed in him as he was refreshed on the Sabbath day according to Deuteronomy 6. We gotta be mindful of the loads that we're carrying. Here's some indicators that you're carrying a load and not giving it to him. Some of the indicators are things seem to bother you more than they should. Kids are a great litmus for me. If I start snapping at my kids, I know it ain't about my kids. It's about my soul. I know traffic. If traffic, if I start manifesting and I start getting irritated (laughs) in traffic, it ain't about traffic. It's about your soul. These are gauges in your life saying, check Your gauges, long lines, speed limits. Speed limits are gauges. Why? Because you are in a hurry and you need to slow down. Some of you need to go five miles below the speed limit just to train your soul that it's going to be okay. You may be moving faster than me but you should see my soul right now. <laughs> Go to the grocery store. You're at Whole Foods. You pick the longest line you can find and you just smile at people. There's a cashier. She's like, I, I can take you now. And you're like, I'm fine. We got all the time in the world. I'm not in a hurry. We need to slow down. These are Indicators. Some of you, decision-making is extremely hard. What to wear in the morning. Man, if you're sweating over what you're wearing in the morning, that's an internal issue. It really is. Who should you should hang out with, what you should do. If you're just kind of double-minded in a lot of things. That's an internal indicator that something's off. Things have gotten complex, and you need to return to the simplicity and purity of devoting yourself to Jesus and wear white every day for seven days. You think it's funny. I'm serious. Impulses. You're just so easily given over to impulses. I'm going to eat that food. I'm going to drink that drink. I can't stay self-controlled. That's an indicator. Something's going on in your soul. What you eat, drink, spend, crave. What you scroll upon, we'll get there. That's a whole section in my sermon coming up in about two minutes, all right? <laughs> you favor short-term gains that have long-term costs. Short-term gains that have long-term costs. I.e., Moses is up on the mountain and it's taking way too long for him to come down. So you know what I'm going to fashion? A golden calf. Why? Why? <laughs> Short-term gain, long-term costs. On, we fasten things very quickly internally to numb us from the waiting and from the process. If you think about relationships, I'm just gonna walk through some things. They got some cool graphics behind me. It's gonna kind of put imagery to what I'm gonna share. <laughs> We're gonna get really, really hipster right now. So, relationships, marriage. Just start with marriage. I'll get to singles in a second, but marriage, you get in ruts, fights, familiar, unhealthy patterns. He needs respect, she needs love. Go to counseling. You fight over money, you fight over kids, but you need rest in your marriage. Get a date night. Take time weekly to pour into one another. Kids, if you're a parent, oftentimes you feel like you're not enough. You feel like you're not good at being a parent, not a clue. They're young, they're demanding. One of the things we hear at my house all the time is mom, 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 mom. There's just not enough of you for all of them. Accusations abound. There should be more. If they can do it, why can't you? That mom can do it, why can't you? That podcaster can do it, why can't you? You should be more like her. You should be more like that family. And these accusations fly towards young moms, young dads. These are loads that we wake up to. Is my graphic going? There we go. This is it. All right, so we already did the marriage thing. We did the parent thing. Here's another one. Teenagers, your identity, self-image, choices that you make, your sexuality, your achievements, your scholastics, your future, and the Lord has a chair for you. Come and rest Come and be a son. Come and be a daughter. Come and let go and receive shalom. You're single. You're getting older. You've had your chances. No one asks you out. You're not asking anyone else out. No one pursues. You don't pursue. Maybe I should go to this community or that community or do something online. And the Lord is just saying, come to me, Give me that load. Give me that weight. Give me that desire. Give me that burden. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in me. Let go of the baggage. You got finances. You got bills, debt credit cards, student loans, groceries, gas, retirement, investments, no investments, no retirement. You got all these things surrounding your financial house. And the Lord says, come unto me and I'll show you I'm your source, your purpose. You don't know where you fit. You feel unfulfilled. You feel like there should be more for you in this season. You feel hidden, overlooked, unseen, not in the right place, must do more, try harder, work harder, make a way, take a risk, Failed. tried that, been there. And yet the Lord says, come to me. Behaviors, do more. Workout, diet, stop eating that. You need to eat this, look like this, not like that, wear this, not that, binge Netflix, Cabernet, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, read more, pray more, fast more, guilt, shame, condemnation ensues. The internal voice inside of you is similar to that Olympic commentator on gymnastics that just picks apart the girl that's doing flips and somersaults on a balance beam the size of an iPhone, yet she can't do enough to fulfill the perfect 10. And the Lord says, come and sit in this chair. I'll give you rest from that accusation. I'll give you rest from that condemnation. You need rest. You need to hear the Lord. Asleep in the stern of your boat as the storm rages and he wakes up and he says, peace, be still. I am in you and he who is in you is greater than anything that's outside of you. You need rest. You need to dial down. You need to hear the Lord say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. (laughs) Jesus, give us your rest. We mentioned Jeremiah 17. I'm almost done. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah was standing at the gates, which are entry points for their culture. They could have been gates that led to places of commerce, places of, uh, of, 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 of social gatherings, dinners. It was a place where society engaged society. People engaged people. And I don't know of a more clear gate to stand before than this one. I don't know of a voice like Jeremiah's in his day that needs to come to us and ours when it comes to our relationship with this thing. You don't realize how much rest this sucks from you. Statistically, in this room, the average person spends... 261 minutes a day on this. That's four hours and 33 minutes. The average person touches this daily 2,617 times a day. 71% of you sleep with this next to your head. 40% of you wake up and check your phones in the middle of the night. That's just a lot of statistics that I don't want to read. Don't be a statistic. So can I talk to you about your relationship with this just for a second? Cut us, someone said. You know, if there was one issue in my marriage, it would be my relationship with my phone. If there's one thing that my wife does not feel valued when she doesn't feel valued, it's when I'm in relationship with this. I am light years from where I was, but I still got a ways to go. And I've coined this phrase. I don't know if I read it. So if someone else made it up, give them credit, but I want to parent my phone. One of the things I do is I put my phone to bed every night. It's bedtimes around 7.30 PM. I walk in, I got a little shelf that is his bed, I tuck him in, I plug him in and I shut him up and I am not going to wake him up until I've had quality time with my wife. I have a wind down time that I read. I fall asleep. I wake up to an alarm. When an alarm goes off, I get ready. I engage the Lord I engage scripture, I engage my family, I engage my kids. And then about an hour after I'm up, I pull open the drawer and I wake my phone up and I said, how are you? And I began my relationship with my phone. But what I used to do is when I went to bed, I would tuck my phone in right there. My alarm, ding, ding, ding. Uh Oh, it actually woke up before me and it's ready to engage me right then. And so I open it up and I am like, I wonder what's going on in the world today. And so I click open a news app or I click open a text message or I check my email or I get on social media and all of a sudden my day is being engaged by this. And the state of my soul is now submitted to whatever this is gonna communicate to me, moment one. That ain't parenting your phone. You got to win your day. And one of the ways you win your day is you got to tuck your phone in at night and not wake it up until you're ready to engage it and you're proactive. I I want to give you one last tip with the phone and then we're going to pray. Um, I put my phone on grayscale. It's a secret that Apple doesn't want you to know about. But you can Google how to put your phone on grayscale, and I can click three times, and my phone turns to black and white. And do you know how less engaging it is to look at a phone that's black and white? Those dopamines, you know, that the phone hits you with and keeps you coming back is so much more dialed down when it's black and white. It's just a good tip. Again, to find rest for your souls. We are waging war culturally to find rest internally. And your phone is a major source of that. Social media, come on, man. Like, take it off your phone. Email, take it off your phone. Figure out times that you're gonna engage that stuff. Don't let your phone suck your life and insulate your soul. all right, I'm off you on your phone. We good. I want to end just talking about Matthew chapter 11. Uh, It's the yoke that's easy and the burden that's light. Um, You know, folklore, uh, I, I don't think it's actually a true story, but it may be. I can't prove that it's not, but I've read more that it's kind of a folklore tale about Jesus than actual reality, but I like the thought. Uh, We do know that carpenters, that Jesus was a carpenter. He was the son of a carpenter, and he was a carpenter, and uh, carpenters made two main things. Uh, They made doors, and they made yokes, and to make a yoke, back in the day, you would actually study the contours of an ox, and so a good carpenter would fasten a yoke that was perfectly made for the back of an ox. And the folklore is that there was a carpenter in Nazareth who was really, really good at crafting yokes for ox. And when you read, come unto me, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We do know this, that Christ carried a yoke, which was a board on his back to Calvary. He carried your cross. But as disciples, we daily pick up our cross to follow him. And that cross is a yoke that's been uniquely designed for you, given to you by him. And a lot of times, the yoke was made for two oxen at once. They would plow together. And I can't help but thinking of Jesus carrying our cross. And as we pick up our cross daily, that he's helping us move throughout our day, facing the things that we're facing. And he says, my yoke is easy. And in that context, he says, learn from me. Meaning, if you've heard the good news, you can grow In learning from him, for he says, my heart is gentle and humble. It's the only place in scripture where Jesus' heart is described and it's described as humble and gentle. How do you learn the humility and gentleness of your Lord? You come to him weary and heavy laden and you find rest for your soul. There's such an invitation. It's not don't be weary. It's not don't worry. It's bring those things to me and let me source them as only I can. And you'll find rest. (laughs) Guys, this isn't a one-time revelation that you like graduate. Got the Sabbath rest thing down. No, 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 no. This is a continued process of sanctification. The Sabbath rest is called holy, it's sanctified, and it's something that grows inside of us the more we practice the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. We gotta find rest. I believe with all of my heart, some of the wonky fruit in this room, the two areas specifically, one is sexuality. As I was praying about this service specifically, I saw uh, perverted desires, twisted desires, like almost a riverbank that's flooded. And it's your sexual riverbank is flooded because you have not put your soul to rest. And one of the ways you're coping with it is this internal sin. And I feel like if you will take Sabbath seriously, the Lord's going to restore your soul. And in that process of restoring your soul, he's gonna restore your sexuality. I think rest and your sexuality are very connected. Think about it. A lot of times when you're stumbling and struggling in that, you should be asleep. The other one was... uh, Emotional disorders, chemical imbalances, depression, anxiety, abnormal fear, obsessive compulsiveness. I feel like the Lord, again, this is under the guise of restoration of soul, but it comes through rest. It's an act of trust, it's an act of faith that you're gonna take a day off to find rest for your soul.